1: way we go episode 489 of the Al Galdi podcast it is Thursday January 19th 2023 a day on which the commanders reportedly will be interviewing Atlanta Falcons quarterbacks coach Charles London the commander's offensive coordinator vacancy we on wednesday night had multiple reports of this as the clash told us many years ago london calling uh london be calling for the commander's offensive coordinator job will the commanders be answering uh we shall see i'm actually intrigued by this guy charles london for this reason uh the falcons this season did a lot of good stuff with quarterback Marcus Mariota as a runner. We certainly saw that in the commander's win over the Falcons at FedEx Field in Week 12. Mariota in that game killed our commanders uh, with read option runs. Well, what if we saw a good bit of that with Sam Howell? Is our Commanders QB1 in the 2023 season. Something to think about. Hello and welcome to this Thursday installment of the Al Galdi podcast. We follow sports so that you don't have to. It's a simple arrangement. Uh, I'll have more for you on the Commanders offensive coordinator search next segment when I'll also be welcoming on a guest to talk, Sam Howell and more, Ryan Fowler, of the Draft Network. He is the host of a Commander's Podcast, Commanding the Huddle, with Ryan Fowler. Uh, Ryan is a Commander's fan. He actually used to work for the Redskins. Uh, Ryan's very good at talking X's and O's in NFL Draft, and so we are going to conduct a proper deep dive on Sam Howell. What might the commanders have in him? What would be the best offense for him? Uh, What should the rest of the commanders approach at quarterback be, including Ryan's thoughts on the quarterbacks in the 2023 NFL draft? Uh, Trust me, if you are a commanders fan, you don't want to miss this. Ryan Fowler on Sam Howell next segment. Also on the show, a win for the Wizards. Uh, Bradley Beal was back, and the Wizards won a 116 105 win at the New York Knicks. So, also discuss another win for Virginia basketball and another loss for Virginia Tech basketball. The number 10 Cavaliers, a 78 68 win over the Hokies at John Paul Jones Arena in Charlottesville, Virginia, on Wednesday night. Tech now has lost six consecutive games. I'll tell you about some very good news for Maryland football. Quarterback Talia Tungavailoa is coming back. For his senior season, it'll talk some baseball. Baseball America on Wednesday morning came out with the publication's top 100 prospects, a good number of Nationals prospects, and a whole lot of Orioles prospects were on that list. You can tweet me. At Algaldi, you can email me, the Algoldi Podcast at Yahoo.com. Email from Mike on the running game-oriented offensive philosophy that was pushed by Commander's head coach Ron Rivera and General Manager Martin Mayhew at their joint season ending press conference on January 10th. Writes, Mike, love the podcast. Martin Mayhew's two to one run to pass comment. Had me thinking. This staff consistently is contradicting itself and attempting to put its (laughs) mediocre performance in the best light possible. With the likelihood of a new owner, I think that Ron and Martin are just protecting themselves. Ron and Martin have no faith that they'll be able to find themselves a quarterback. The two-to-one comment protects them from that. If slash when the team inevitably misses on another quarterback, this team will be forced to run the football a ton like the team has done in each of its last two seasons when going on winning streaks. To me, this is Ron and Martin just telling us that they don't believe that they're going to find a successful quarterback to bring in. When they ultimately are forced to run the ball, like they're saying they will, they then can point back to executing on the plan like they said they would. Would love to hear your thoughts. Again, love the podcast and keep up Go good work. Uh, thank you for that, Mike. Appreciate that. Well, I do think that Ron Rivera and Martin Mayhew genuinely believe in this offensive philosophy, because remember, Ron was pushing this philosophy during the season. And he, in the dying days of Scott Turner as commander's offensive coordinator, provided multiple answers in press conferences that suggested not only that Scott was in trouble, but also that Ron was not a fan of the job. That Scott had done. And I think that a good bit of that had to do with Scott not being on board with this offensive philosophy with, yes, the formula. Uh, But to Mike's point about the team not acquiring a high profile proven quarterback this offseason, I do think that it's very possible that Ron Rivera and Martin Mayhew at that press conference knew that they would not be acquiring a high profile proven quarterback this offseason. And my question would be this. If Ron and Martin know that they won't be acquiring a high-profile proven quarterback this offseason, is that because that's not the path that they want to take? Or is that because they're not being allowed to take that path? In other words, is there essentially a spending freeze for the commanders, at least until they're sold? Do Ron and Martin know that doing something like trading for Las Vegas Raiders quarterback Derek Carr, given his big money contract, is off the table because of the cost. It is worth noting that in addition to the word formula being used at that press conference a bunch, the word budget was used at that press conference. And, you know, that's not something that we normally hear. The word budget at a press conference for the team. Uh, Commander's Insider Ben Standing of The Athletic wrote about this, and it is something worth thinking about. Do Rod and Martin, at least until the sale of the team is done, have a strict budget? Uh, That would also help to explain, by the way, the team so quickly being open to Sam Howell as the QB1 for 2023. I mean, this guy doesn't play the entire regular season into Week 18 And now, all of a sudden, he's being positioned to be the team's QB1 for 2023. And so you ask yourself, well, what happened here? Well, no doubt, Sam did play well in the Commander's season-ending 26-6 win over the Dallas Cowboys at FedEx Field. But also, Sam is a guy who is on a fifth-round rookie contract. Sam Howell's salary cap hit for the 2023 season will be $960,400. That's it. That is quite a ways away from the 2022 salary cap hit. A quarterback Carson Wentz, $28.295 million. Uh, email from Thelonious Funk on the Commanders uh, writes Thelonious, At this point, I think that fans would rather see a young quarterback take his lumps for a season. The Philadelphia Eagles with Jalen Hurts and the Dallas Cowboys with Dak Prescott took chances on young, non-first-round quarterbacks, and those chances paid off while Washington is still stuck in neutral. I say let Sam Howell and a rookie actually compete for the position next year. Taylor Heineke cannot be on the roster because he will only complicate things. Also, don't believe the hype. Washington's elite defense only faced two Pro Bowl quarterbacks, Kirk Cousins of the Minnesota Vikings and Jalen Hurts of the Eagles, all year. And the Commanders went one and two in those games. So Jack Del Rio could be the next sacrifice. I'm not a Scott Turner fan, but he got completely thrown under the bus. Uh, Thank you for the email. Thelonious. I agree on the approach of quarterback. Uh, Sam Howell and a rookie. I would love to see that. I do not think, however, that re-signing Taylor Heineke would be a bad thing. I don't buy into Taylor's presence being a distraction or being something that'll prompt fans to constantly chant for him to be put into games. First of all, you can't let fans dictate your football decisions, but also actually think that a lot of fans, uh, maybe even most fans, would be patient with Sam Howell or a rookie as long as the guy was showing promise. And you know, there are a lot of Sam Howell fans out there. Like there definitely are a lot of Taylor Heineke fans out there, but there are a lot Of Sam Howell fans out there. There are a lot of Howellians out there, a lot of Howellites out there, a lot of Alco-Howellics out there, okay? Uh, I've noticed this in talking and tweeting a lot about Sam Howell in recent weeks. Like, there is a genuine excitement with this guy, and I think that there should be, okay? I mean, I don't think anybody should be going crazy with it, but I think it's okay to be excited about Sam, to be intrigued, by Sam. Uh, As far as the commanders defense, yes, it is true that the commanders in the 2022 regular season did not face a murderers row of quarterbacks, but the team did face the 10th Hardest schedule of opposing offenses in the NFL, if you go by Football Outsiders DVOA metric, which to me is the best true measure of offense and defense and special teams. Uh, The Commanders for the 2022 regular season for DVOA faced the 10th hardest schedule of opposing offenses and yet finished number nine in the NFL in total defense. Uh, That's pretty good. And the Commanders finished number one in the NFL. In third down defense, that's pretty good. Uh, you don't have to believe that the commander's defense is elite, but the defense this season was very good. Certainly was playoff caliber. And I do think that defensive coordinator Jack Del Rio did a very good job this season. Well, also very good is the hiatus app. Uh, Hiatus is a personal financial management app that allows you to take full control of your money. Hiatus creates a comprehensive view of your bills, utilities, and subscriptions. If you have been needing to get your money organized, this is a great way, the Hiatus app. Uh, Hiatus monitors trends, watches for increases in your bills, and alerts you if any rate changes are coming. Also, you with Hiatus can gain access to hands-on money experts who can negotiate your bills down and and provide you with financial advice, and you with hiatus can create custom budgets. The hiatus app is great. Do yourself a favor, download the hiatus app. You can do so right now from the App Store, from Google Play, or by going to hiatus.app. There's no cost to downloading the app. Download it and see what it can do for you. Again, download the hiatus app from the App Store, from Google Play, or by going to hiatus.app. Hiatus, money saving made easy. The success of this podcast is because of you. So thank you for listening and downloading and subscribing. Also, thank you for rating and reviewing. You on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify can rate the podcast. Five-star ratings are very much appreciated. And you on Apple Podcasts can write a review saying that you like the podcast. The review does not have to be long, can be just a sentence or two. And the ratings and the reviews uh, do help us out a lot. Uh, We now have two known and official interviews for the commander's offensive coordinator vacancy. The commanders actually have been officially announcing offensive coordinator interviews. Not every NFL team will do something like that. Washington certainly has not done much of that kind of thing over the years, but uh, is doing that with this offensive coordinator search. The Commanders on Wednesday morning announced that they on Wednesday were interviewing their quarterbacks coach, Ken Zampezi, for the offensive coordinator job. This off the Commanders on Tuesday morning having announced that they on Tuesday were interviewing former Cleveland Browns and former New York Giants head coach Pat Shermer for the Commanders offensive coordinator job. Uh, Also, Miami Dolphins quarterbacks coach and passing game coordinator, Daryl Bevel, uh, is out of the Commander's Offensive Coordinator sweepstakes. We, on Wednesday afternoon, had multiple reports that Bevel was declining a request to interview for the Commander's and New York Jets Offensive Coordinator vacancies. As we found out this past Saturday morning via multiple reports, Commander's Head Coach Rod Rivera in these interviews is telling Offensive Coordinator candidates that Sam Howell is being positioned to be the team's QB1 for the 2023 season. Doesn't mean that Sam's guaranteed to be the team's starting quarterback for the 2023 season, but he at the very least is set to have a shot at being the team's starting quarterback for the 2023 season. And the working idea going into off-season practices and 2023 Commanders training camp may well end up being that Sam Howell is the team's QB1. For a lot more on Sam Howell, I'm very pleased to welcome back to the Al Galdi podcast, Ryan Fowler, of the Draft Network. Uh, He is the host of a commander's podcast, Commanding the Huddle, with Ryan Fowler. Uh, He is a commander's fan. He used to work for the Redskins. Uh, Ryan was an intern for the Skins from August 2018 to May 2019, and then was a staff writer for the Skins from May 2019 to July 2020. You can follow Ryan on Twitter at underscore Ryan Fowler underscore. Hey, Ryan, how are you? Yeah, I'm doing well, Al. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, thanks for coming on. So when we this past Saturday morning had these reports that the commanders are positioning Sam Howell to be their QB1 for the 2023 season, did you receive those reports with happiness or with concern?
2: I would say happiness, Al. I mean, when they drafted him in the fifth round last year, I mean, going into the process, I had a third round grade on Sam Howell. Now obviously guys fall to certain reasons, I and mean, we look at Brock Purdy, right, last pick in the draft. Fell to the seventh round for a reason. There are limitations in Sam Howell's game. But in the fifth round, you had a ton of value for a guy. And the talent from day one, when he came into that Washington depth chart, Carson Wentz, Taylor Heineke, Sam Howell, in my opinion, was the most talented quarterback in Washington. Now, if you ask some people, they'll say, oh, that's really not saying too much. There's not a lot of talent in that room. But Sam Howell and how he consistently improved. When he was at North Carolina, you look in 2020 when he had Daz Newsome and De'Ami Brown on the outside and they had Michael Carter and Javante Williams in the backfield 4 NFL talents. Everything was easy for him. The thing is that impressed me most was he moved into 2021, a below average offensive line, a couple decent receivers on the outside, but none of those guys in the backfield. He involved his legs more. He consistently improved as the year went on. 11 rushing touchdowns back in 2021 and someone that wins between the ears. Before he ever wins with his arm or his legs, and as he moved into Washington, someone that we expected all year long to be someone that was going to sit with a t-shirt and shorts, with an earpiece in and a clipboard, learning how to be a professional. Then he comes in Week 18 with a Dallas team that was playing for something, that was throwing exotic looks from Dan Quinn, a defense that absolutely made Tom Brady look bad. Right, as just saying it simply. Last night in that wild card round, he was excellent. And I think moving into the fall, I'm just really excited about his potential with this offense and what Sam Howell does well as far as he expands the offense from the offensive quarterback position, the most important position that Washington just has not been able to
1: figure out for so, so long. (laughs) Yeah. So, so long is right. Interesting that you thought that Sam Howell was the most talented quarterback on the Commanders this season. I think that most people, regardless of what they think about Carson Wentz, would say that he was the most talented quarterback on the team this season. But you say Sam Howell.
2: Yeah, I think you look at his arm strength, his ability to zip it, across every single portion of the field. You make athletes cover every single blade of grass, and then you look at him in his lower half and his ability not just to be a runner when things break down in space, but also keep his eyes up in zip throws on the run off-platform, outside of structure, off-script, whatever you want to say about it. He was someone that expands a playbook. You want to ask him to do QB powers, QB sweeps. You saw it in that touchdown run when he ran over Trayvon Diggs at the goal line. You saw it in the preseason. How is that going to translate? He's an... Not going to say an elite talent, but it's someone that can can zip the ball to the outside hashes. You asked to to throw a 15-yard comeback outside the hashes to Terry McLaurin, Sam Howell can do that. Then you ask him to run from five yards in and run over a safety, a 210-pound safety, he can do that too. You look at his frame, 6'2", 220-plus pounds. He looks a lot like Brian Robinson or Antonio Gibson. So he offers something within this playbook, and I'm interested to see as we get in this offensive coordinator conversation as well, someone that allows him to be an athlete under center. He is an athlete. Don't ask him to play hero ball. Don't ask him to be a robot. You got guys on the outside, these pillars of your offense, Darren McLaurin, Jahan Dotson, an excellent running game. We'll see what improvements they make along the front five. But he's someone that expands a playbook and someone that Washington should be really excited about moving forward.
1: It is going to be fascinating to see what comes of the commander's offensive coordinator search off the firing of Scott Turner. We have had a lot of conversation on the podcast recently about the nature of offense in today's NFL. Given those comments from head coach Ron Rivera and general manager Martin Mayhew at their joint season-ending press conference on January 10th, uh, championing a running game-oriented offense, what kind of an offense would you like to see the commander's run next season especially if Sam Howell is their starting quarterback yeah it's
2: it's really interesting because remember you listen to Martin he said we want to have a two-to-one run to pass ratio well it's 2023 and it's funny because you look at teams around the league if you pass really well at some point you're going to have to play you know if you pass really well you have to run really well if you run really well you got to throw the ball with some success really well I just want someone that's going to accentuate the athletes that Washington has on offense not be limited you watch scott turner over the last few years and how predictable and how redundant the offense became especially in the first half of ball games and on first and second down it's very predictable you know, I, I mentioned on my podcast this week, as far as there's not defensive coordinators in the league that watch Washington's offense as much as we do following this team on a daily basis. And you could just see almost times where you could predict where the play was going. So, someone that can come into the building and, again, accentuate those skill sets, evolve, and consistently tailor who you're facing week to week. Facing the Dallas Cowboys and then facing the New York Giants, those are two d- different defensive units. Two coordinators in Dan Quinn and Wink Martindale, the one to get after the quarterback. But what they do on the back end, you look at with New York, they're playing seven DBs at times. We're just rushing for Dallas doing different things with Micah Parsons all across the middle of the field. Or with Leighton Vander Esch in their corners room. There's just so many different things. You have to tailor your offense in 2023 to young pieces. Nick Sirianni did such a good job before he came into Philadelphia. When he was in Indianapolis, taking skill sets and using the best of their advantage. Terry McLaurin is not Cam Sims. De'Ami Brown isn't Jahan Dotson. So, again, accentuating skill sets and consistently evolving a game plan when you have the athletes that you do because it's it's tiring year in and year out where we're saying, what is the performance ceiling of this offense? 18.9 points per game, Al, this year is not going to cut it.
1: No, not acceptable at all. Uh, something that I never understood these last two seasons when Taylor Heineke was Washington's starting quarterback was why we didn't see more read option, more of Taylor being presented as a run threat. I take it that you believe that the commanders, if they go with Sam Howell as QB1, very much should employ a good bit of read option.
2: Yes, I completely agree. I think with that, it keeps the backside of the formation open. And one of the things I even want to talk about is Sam's mechanics. When he dropped back to pass, as you're a young quarterback, you're taught as a right-handed quarterback to keep that left shoulder closed. And when you have the helmet on, it's hard to see the back side of the formation. So even as a thrower of the football, you look at Sam, he doesn't have a traditional drop back. He almost backpedals in his drop back to where he keeps that left hip open and has access to every portion of the field to plant that back foot in the ground and make a throw to his left a second and a half two seconds into his progression, he's able to see the entire field. Then you add in his his legs in the run game and you're keeping that backside defensive end, backside linebacker, backside corner. Everybody's honest. And then you got Brian Robinson coming down the tracks as they move into November, December football. And it's 25 degrees outside. I don't know about you, Al. I don't want to tackle Brian Robinson when it's cold outside. So it's keeping every single athlete on defense at all levels honest. And I would love to see Sam Howell, as we move into next year, continue to use his legs because that's when he's best.
1: We're talking Sam Howell and Commanders with Ryan Fowler of the Draft Network. You did say that you had a third round grade on Sam Howell. Uh, why? What were slash are your concerns with Sam?
2: Yeah, I think when you look at Carolina, I think he wasn't perfect by any means. A little bit of times at... I- In that 2021 season, especially, and I talked about the athletes kind of earlier, there really wasn't a ton around him. Sometimes just forcing things, a little bit inaccurate at times, trying to be and have that arm arrogance. You know, we talk about arm strength and arm talent. There is a thing, such called arm arrogance, where you think you can pump every single throw into every window. I had concerns about that with Sam, why he was a third round grade for me. But, you know, as a guy that they took again in the fifth round, that's a guy with a ton of value and a guy with a ton of arm strength that can make every single throw. At the NFL level, there were some kind of fun little things talking about with Sam from individuals that I spoke to on the league as far as he was a little lackadaisical at Carolina. The guy that I got to know, Sam Howell, during the pre-draft process was someone that was extremely detail-oriented and someone that in my board, I was just probably extremely excited about. I had him ahead of Matt Corral that Carolina took. I had him near through the 3-4 range in that class. I thought that he's someone that has a ton of potential now. I get scared with that word potential because that word gets coaches fired, right? That potential of somebody. But you saw how he prepared this year. You saw what he did when he was thrown into the fire. And he did a lot of that at Carolina where he consistently improved and showcased that he can lead an offense at a high level.
1: Beyond Sam Howell at quarterback, uh, it sure seems like a slam dunk that the commanders are going to release Carson Wentz in the coming weeks. Uh, Taylor Heineke is set to be an unrestricted free agent this offseason. Uh, the Commanders have resigned Jake Brom to a reserve slash future contract, but what would you recommend to the Commanders for the rest of their approach at quarterback for the 2023 season?
2: Yeah, it's really interesting. Obviously, you heard the comments from Taylor as far as wanting to be back potentially in D.C., but you're not going to pay him a large amount, some amount of money to come back and be a backup to a second-year guy. He wants to probably get an opportunity somewhere. So it really throws a wrench in the process to are you going to try to bring in a free agent veteran that's four, five, six years into the league potentially, that just wants to be a backup. Is it going to be Jake Fromm that you think you could develop? And as you know, we look at him back at Georgia as a guy that is really a Walmart version of Sam Howell or from a skill set perspective. Uh, it's just interesting. I think the best plan of action would probably to bring in a cheap veteran, let Carson and Taylor walk. I think Taylor deserves an opportunity elsewhere. Let Sam start and get somebody in the building that understands how to carry himself as a professional. If he has to come in and start four or five games for you, he can lead an offense, but get a guy in the building also, Al, that has a similar skill set, if you can, to Sam. You look at Taylor Heineke and Carson Wentz, two opposite ends of the spectrum as far as quarterbacks. And we already knew that Scott Turner's offense wasn't quarterback friendly. So getting someone in the building where you don't have to tailor your offense too, too, too much as you move into 2023.
1: You've already sort of addressed this, but why wasn't Scott Turner's offense quarterback friendly?
2: Well, it consistently didn't evolve, right? You have to evolve to your skill sets. You look at at Carson Wentz and Taylor Heineke. We just talked about Taylor Heineke using his legs more in twenty twenty or into twenty twenty one. You look at Carson Wentz; he's just a statue, right? It d- didn't evolve. It wasn't easy on the outside. He didn't have quick game. He didn't have rhythm throws. Everything was three three and a half seconds, making two, three reads down the field. There were no half reads. I'm I'm coming back from an I from IR. My fingers all bother, you know bother me. I haven't thrown under fire in a long time. I'm asked to sit now make three, four reads in NFL defense that I just haven't seen in months with the concerns that we already had on Carson Wentz. Then Taylor Hankey comes in the game, and he had some decent throws here and there, but there's limitations where he's throwing 15-plus yards down the field, and the ball is looping in the air. I wanted to see more quick game, more rhythm game. You got guys on the outside, get the ball in their hands, and allow them to be athletes. How many times this year were we in the first half, and Terry McLaurin had one catch, one target? it's not enough. You have to get those guys involved. And being quarterback friendly is getting your quarterback comfortable within the pocket as you move into third, fourth series of the football game.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, you do a lot with NFL drafts. The commanders for the 2023 NFL draft have the number 16 overall pick, would seem to be out on getting one of the perceived top three quarterbacks in the draft, Alabama's Bryce Young, Ohio State's C.J. Stroud and Kentucky's Will Levis. What about quarterbacks in this draft beyond the big three? Would you recommend the Commanders taking a quarterback at 16 or in the second round, uh, say Florida's Anthony Richardson?
2: Yeah, Anthony Richardson right, is such a, an, an electric talent, has all the tools in the world. That's the biggest thing when you talk around the league is he's got tools and he's got traits. Big kid, big arm, Can, he's expected to run potentially four threes, what we heard out of Florida. Obviously, all the talent in the world, but it takes time. And you look at him in between the ears, like I talked about with Sam, you have to win in between the ears first. And that is not there yet for Anthony Richardson. And I will say the only quarterback right now, Al, that I'd be interested in Washington taking as you move into day two and potentially early day three is Jake Hayner out of Fresno State, a guy that deserves much more attention. Reminds me a lot. Of Taylor Heineke, not the biggest kid in the world, but can rip every single throw at every level and was outstanding at Fresno State and is a flat out gamer and can create with his legs not as much as Sam Howell can, but when things break down, he can escape the pocket and make any throw in the book. And that's a name that I want Washington fans, if you have time to look him up on YouTube or anything like that, check out Jake Hayner from Fresno State, someone that if is Washington, is thinking about bringing in a young quarterback, again, behind Sam Howell, to have two young guys in the building, to give him some competition, have him in the rearview mirror. It's going to be Jake Hayner from Fresno State.
1: As things stand right now, how many quarterbacks in the 2023 draft do you view as being first round worthy? Yeah, I'll say will say four right now. Bryce
2: Young, C.J. Stroud, Will Levis, and Anthony Richardson are are four locks to go in the first round for me. I know the NFL is higher on Tanner McKee, quarterback out of Stanford, that may go high second round than what the kind of the, the basis is with the rest of the media industry and draft industry as far as what you saw from him at Stanford, a big kid, kind of a, a really just a carpet guy in the pocket, just stands there static in the pocket. Um, but I'll, I'll go, I'll go four as locks and a potential potentially as far as Tanner McKee sneaking into the early second round.
1: So if Anthony Richardson is available to the commanders at 16, should they take him?
2: I don't. I don't. I think the future, you develop a young guy like Sam Howell. I really like the potential there and what he showed for me throughout the year as far as learning the offense and then coming into Week 18 under fire, where again, Dallas was playing for something. Um, And I think there's many more holes within this, especially defense and offensive line, that they're going to have to get players. This corner class may be one of the best in a long time. You got Cam Smith from South Carolina, Christian Gonzalez from Oregon, a long 33-inch arm corner, Joey Porter Jr., the son of the longtime Pittsburgh bridge at Penn State, one of the longest corners to ever enter the NFL draft, a dynamic could shut down a third of the side of the field for you. Most of those guys out will most likely potentially be there at 16. Washington is going to have options for them there.
1: As you know, the commanders need a lot of help with their offensive line. How is this 2023 draft with offensive linemen?
2: Yeah, linemen are top heavy. Right now you got your Peter Skaronskis, your Paris Johnsons from Ohio State, Roderick Jones from Georgia, DeWan Jones from Ohio State. But as you move into that day two bucket, your Darnell Wright's from Tennessee, Jalen Duncan's from Maryland. Matthew Bergeron is kind of tricky. He's from Syracuse. He's a tackle for the Orange, but he'll play guard at the NFL. Same with Skaronski. He doesn't have the arm length. He's kind of like a T-Rex, if you will. So he'll play guard at the NFL level. But you move into day two, and it really falls off a little bit from tackle help. And then at guard, it's your Andrew Voorhees, your John Michael Schmitz, who played a lot of center for Minnesota. You're Andrew Rames from Oklahoma. So there's not a ton of names, a ton of really high-level bodies within the interior. But but tackle is really, really top-heavy. And for me right now, as you move into the second round, all eyes for me are set on Darnell Wright, the tackle from Tennessee that I mentioned. Protected uh, Hendon Hooker's arm side for Tennessee this year. Has value at left tackle, at right tackle. It remains to be seen what Washington ultimately wants to do at right tackle. We saw Cornelius Lucas and Sam Cosmi consistently rotate this year. Charles Leno at times looked completely unplayable and then he looked fine. He looked average, but they need some fresh legs up front. They really do. So my eyes right now are set. i in the second round, that second round bucket on Darnell Wright, tackle from Tennessee.
1: All right. Uh, one more for you. You are a Commanders fan. Uh, where is Ryan Ballard at with Ron Rivera as Washington head coach? Uh, three seasons, a lot of difficult circumstances, but he has yet to have a winning regular season as Washington head coach.
2: Yeah, I think for me, um, you know, three straight seasons of 500 football, it flat out not good enough. The talent the building, it's not good enough. And it was funny because we entered this year saying on paper, the strength of schedule wasn't good. That's it's always funny because you move into three, six <laughs> and seven, right? Teams get better, teams get worse, teams stay neutral, you know. But the biggest thing for me with Ron is, The hiring of this offensive coordinator position is going to tell me a lot about the future moving into this season because of the young quarterback that you do have. Is it going to be an older guy with a lot of head coach experience? We obviously saw that Jim Caldwell turned down an interview. Is it going to be a young guy like Brian Johnson? QB's coach for the Philadelphia Eagles, who I would love in D.C. Is it going to be a Joe Brady or Daryl Bevel? We will see where Washington goes with that decision, and that thing for me with Ron Rivera is where I ultimately stand for moving into 2023. I thought he did a fine job in the back, the meat of the season, excuse me. Jack Del Rio did a hell of a job that last 10 to 12 weeks. Defense played with his hair on fire, but who they hire as an offensive coordinator is going to tell me a lot about this moving into 2023 and if Ron's going to be here moving into 2024.
1: That's a good point. Ryan Fowler of the Draft Network. He is the host of a Commander's Podcast, Commanding the Huddle, with Ryan Fowler. Ryan, thanks a lot. All the best. Thanks so much for having me on, Al. All right, hopefully the commanders will do as good of a job with their offensive coordinator hire as a real estate agent. Kellen Hunt will do for you if you are trying to buy a home in the Washington, D.C. area. Kellen Hunt will help you take advantage of the current Washington, D.C. area real estate market. Housing prices are coming down due to an increase in inventory caused by the increases in mortgage rates, with others not buying now actually is a very good time to buy. With everyone else zigging, you should be zagging because there are bargain deals for great homes waiting for you contact real estate agent Kellen Hunt. Visit CloseItWithKell.com. That's CloseItWithKell, Kel, dot com. Book a call with Kellen Hunt to discuss your real estate needs and make sure that you tell Kel that Al Galdi sent you. Kellen Hunt understands the Washington DC area real estate market and he is here for you to listen to what you want no matter your situation in life, whether you're a first-time buyer looking for guidance, or you have a young family looking for a bigger home, or you're ready to retire and or are looking to downsize, Kellen Hunt can help you. He is a real estate agent for real people, and he's a great guy. He will listen to you. It's not just some know-it-all. He works for you. He takes in what you're looking for and then gets to work. And Kellen Hunt is willing to put a portion of his commission back in your pocket. Kellen Hunt knows what buyers like you are facing and he wants to help. So visit CloseItWithKell.com. That's CloseItWithKell.com. K E L L. CloseItWithKell.com. Book your call with Kellen Hunt to discuss your real estate needs and make sure that you tell Kel that Al Galdi sent you. Visit CloseItWithKell.com. If you are trying to buy a home in the Washington, D.C. area, you will do well by going with Kel. Visit closeitwithkel.com and tell Kel that Algaldi sent you.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed.
1: Well, a good win for the Wizards on Wednesday night. They improved to 19-26 with a 116-105 win at the New York Knicks. Uh, This was just the Wizards' ninth win over their last 28 games, but we'll take it. Uh, The Wizards never trailed in the game, and they, for the game, were actually truly healthy. Funny what happens when you're healthy. Uh, The Wizards for this game had all of their key players healthy, including, yes, Bradley Beal. He was back. Uh, Beal returned from a five-game absence caused by a low-grade left hamstring strain, and he looked pretty good. Uh, 28 minutes, 39 seconds as a starter. He went 1-1 on threes, of 6-10 on twos, and 3-3 of on free throws, finished with 18 points, 4 rebounds, and 4 assists versus 2 turnovers. The Wizards held the Knicks to just 7 of 26 on threes, did allow the Knicks to score 66 points in the paint, but the Wizards had 16 made threes to the Knicks 7. Uh, the Wizards offense was pretty good. They went 16-42 on threes, of 26-53 on twos, and 16-19 on free throws, and had 28 assists versus 14 turnovers. Uh, Kyle Kuzma, in 36 minutes, 22 seconds as a starter, went just 4-12 on threes and just 1-3 on free throws, and committed four turnovers, but he also went 7-12 on twos and also finished with 27 points 13 rebounds, including three offensive boards, seven assists, and a game best plus minus rating of plus 20. Uh, Chris Tapp's Porzingis, he in 32 minutes, 52 seconds as a starter, went just two of eight on twos and committed three turnovers and six fouls, but he also went four of nine on threes and six of six on free throws and also finished with 22 points, 11 rebounds, including five offensive boards, five assists and two blocks. It was nice to see the Wizards have their big three all in effect in the same game. Uh, Bradley Beal, Kyle Kuzma, and Chris damspor Porzingis. Here was Wizards head coach Wes Unseld Jr. during his post-game press conference on Wednesday night.
3: Um, it's a good sign those guys could, you know, kind of put it together. It seems like the, the chemistry hasn't uh, changed at all in Brad's absence. Um, so, you know, overall I thought it was great. You know, the best part about it, I thought, was uh, our overall defense. You know, the paint defense wasn't up to par, but in general, you know, they've been a top-10 offense. They've been uh, playing at a high level. So I was proud of our guys for really kind of anchoring ourselves in our defense and letting the offense come to us.
1: Yeah, good game for Denny Avdia, too. 29 minutes, 4 seconds off the bench. He went 2 of 3 on threes, 4 of 8 on twos, and 0 of 1 on free throws. He finished with 14 points and 7 rebounds, including 3 offensive boards, but not a good game for Rui Hachimura. Uh, he was back to struggling. He in 19 minutes, 44 seconds as a reserve, went 0-6 on threes and 0-1 on twos. He finished with no points, just one rebound and three And all of this was off earlier in the day, there being a report that the Wizards have begun trade discussions centered on Rui Hachimura. Uh, This is according to The Athletic. So Rui this coming offseason will be eligible for a qualifying offer. We're at a point at which the Wizards need to decide whether they want to truly pay Rui Hachimura or move on from him. Uh, You know, it's tricky with Rui because he has talent. He can be very good, but he also has been very inconsistent. We certainly are seeing that this season and he over the last two seasons has missed a lot of time due to personal reasons and injury. Uh, That report from The Athletic also said that the Wizards have received interest from multiple teams on potential deals involving Kyle Kuzma personally I think that the Wizards should be very open to selling. I don't get the sense that they are. You know, the Wizards seem perpetually open to tinkering, uh, but never open to actually going all in on a full-fledged rebuild. Uh, But I would actually anticipate Rui Hachimura being traded. It doesn't sound like the Wizards are hot and heavy to trade Kyle Kuzma, but I very much could see the Wizards trading uh, Rui Hachimura. We'll see. Uh, The NBA trade deadline is on Thursday, February 9th at 3 p.m. Eastern. Hey, maybe Will Barton ends up being traded. Barton on Wednesday night, a DNP CD. Next up for the Wizards, home to the Orlando Magic, Saturday night at 7. Well, we on Wednesday night had the clash of the Commonwealth in college basketball, Virginia Tech at Virginia. We had a number of stars in attendance. Uh, legendary former Virginia Tech quarterback Michael Vick was in attendance. Uh, Virginia basketball legend Ty Jerome and his Golden State Warriors teammate Steph Curry were in Attendance, And so, <laughs> we can say quite literally, as Martin Lawrence used to say back in the day, that Jerome was in the house.
3: Oh, oh, oh. I take Jerome in the house.
1: Yeah, for those of you who remember the television show Martin, I said Jerome in the house. Oh, oh, oh. I take Jerome in the house. Yeah, Jerome in the house on Wednesday night. Ty Jerome in the house on Wednesday night. And Mike Vick, Ty Jerome, and Steph Curry, Uh, they all saw yet another Virginia win over Virginia Tech. You know, the Hokies own the Cavaliers in football, but the Cavs own the Hokies in basketball. Number 10, Virginia improved up. 14-3 overall and 6-2 in the ACC with a 78-68 win over Virginia Tech at John Paul Jones Arena in Charlottesville, Virginia on Wednesday night. The Hokies lost their sixth consecutive game, fell to 11-7 overall and just 1-6 and in the ACC. UVA head coach Tony Bennett now is 18-8 all-time versus Virginia Tech. Now, with Tech, it got back a key player, but shortly before the game announced being back to being without another key player. So Hunter Couture returned from a four-game absence caused by an elbow injury, and he played well for the Hokies, 34 minutes, four seconds as a starter. He went three of six on threes, one of two on twos. He finished with 11 points, six rebounds, and five assists versus one turnover. But Tech, less than 90 minutes before the game, announced that freshman Rodney Rice had suffered a broken finger on his right hand at the end of practice on Saturday. He's out indefinitely. Uh, this is something Rodney Rice had just made his collegiate debut in the Hokies previous game. Their 82-72 loss at Syracuse on January 11th of having been out due to injury. This guy can't catch a break. And, you know, he's a highly touted freshman, a four-star recruit at to Matthew Catholic High School in Hyattsville, Maryland. You wonder what this Virginia Tech season might look like. Had Rodney Rice been healthy, but uh, he's out after playing in just one game. Not much is going well for the Hokies right now. Uh, The Cavs on Wednesday night led for most of the game. Their biggest deficit was just two points. The Wahoos allowed the Hokies to go 12-27 on threes and 15-28 to on twos, but also held the Hokies to just two free throw attempts. The entire game, Uh, Tech went two of two on its free throws. Uh, The Hoos went eight of 23 on threes, 21 of 34 on twos, and 12 of 13 on free throws, and committed just five turnovers the entire game. Uh, The Hokies only committed eight turnovers, but geez, the Hoos, five turnovers the entire game. And with the likes of Ty Jerome and Steph Curry in the house, uh, UVA's three starting guards all Played very well. Talking about Keehey Clark, Reese Beekman, and Armand Franklin. Uh, Keehey Clark in 35 minutes 48 seconds as a starter went 2 of 5 on threes, 5 of 9 on twos, and 4 of 4 on free throws. He finished with 20 points and 5 assists versus 1 turnover. Reese Beekman in 34 minutes 41 seconds as a starter went 1 of 3 on threes, 3 of 7 on twos, and 2 of 2 on free throws. He finished with 11 points, 7 assists. Versus no turnovers, three rebounds, and a game-best plus-minus rating of plus-16. And Armand Franklin, 32 minutes, 44 seconds as a starter. He went 2-3 on threes, 4-6 on twos, and 1-1 on free throws. He finished with 15 points and five rebounds. This was Tony Bennett during his post-game press conference on Wednesday night on the play of his three starting guards.
3: Yeah, well, there was a couple of good guards in attendance tonight, so I think they wanted to play well, um, but they sure did. I, uh, you know, uh, Virginia Tech is is really good. Uh, they're healthy or healthier now when when they have Hunter back, and he's such a good player. And then they put a lot of pressure on you. And you know, rarely will you hear me say this, but we we had to score. Um, we, we had a hard time stopping them, and we ran good offense, and the guards made timely big baskets. But um, they put a lot of pressure on you. And um, I just thought there were some key plays. I do think Ryan Dunn was very—he um, he was influential or was uh, a difference defensively for us with his length. So he impacted that game that way. But I think all—all all the guys that were in there did a good job, and it was just a—you know—it was a—a really good game for us, and I think for them too. And um, there was a lot of runs, but the guards certainly played
1: well. Yes, they did. Uh, Tony Bennett again started the 6'8 Ohio graduate student transfer. Ben Vanderplas over 6'11 Caden Shedrick. Uh, Shedrick played for just 4 minutes, 20 seconds, but things are going well for UVA right now. Uh, Next up for Virginia at Wake Forest, Saturday afternoon at 2. Next up for Virginia Tech at number 19 Clemson, Saturday evening at 6. Well, big news for Maryland football on Wednesday morning. Great news for Maryland football on Wednesday morning. Quarterback Talia Tungavailoa is coming back for a senior season. This was the number one question for Terrapins football entering this offseason. Would Talia come back for a senior season? And the answer now is yes. Uh, Him entering the 2023 NFL draft was a possibility. Him transferring was a possibility, but he is coming back. Uh, He is the record holder for most of Maryland's major career and single-season passing stats. He is the best quarterback who the Terps have had in decades. Now, that's not saying much because the Terps, uh, like the Redskins slash Washington football teams slash commanders, have had quarterback problems for decades. But Talia has been a very good Terps quarterback. He, for the 2022 season, was number 29 among all qualified FBS quarterbacks in ESPN's total QBR, highest ranking for any Terp among qualified FBS quarterbacks in total QBR for a season for as far back as the college football QBR data on ESPN.com goes, of uh, the 2004 season. Uh, Talia still needs to be more consistent, but when he's on, he's really good. And him coming back positions the Terps to have a good 2023 season. Progress for the Terps under head coach Mike Loxley has not been as fast as anyone would have wanted, but progress is happening. Uh, the Terps in the 2022 season, not their first eight-win season since the 2010 season, uh, what was Ralph Regan's final season as Terps head coach, and the Terps have won bowl games in consecutive seasons for the first time since the 2002 and 2003 seasons. Uh, the Terps receiving core has taken some hits. Uh, receivers Rakim Jarrett, Don Dante Demas Jr. and Jacob Copeland all have declared for the 2023 NFL draft. But Talia Tungavailoa is coming back. And that's a very good thing if you're a Terps fan like me. Let's talk some baseball. Uh, baseball America on Wednesday morning came out with the publication's top 100 prospects, 12 of the 100 prospects were Nationals or Orioles prospects. Uh, the Nats had four top 100 prospects. Outfielder James Wood was number 11. Outfielder Robert Hassel third, was number 57. Outfielder Elijah Green was number 58. And pitcher Cade Cavalli was number 61. Uh, Wood and Hassel were acquired from the San Diego Padres in the uh, mega trade of outfielder Juan Soto and first baseman Josh Bell to the Padres last July. Uh, Green and Cavalli were taken by the Nats in the first rounds of MLB drafts. Not among Baseball America's top 100 prospects was shortstop Brady House, uh, who last season dealt with a mysterious back injury. He was playing for the Nats' low-A affiliate, the Fredericksburg Nationals, aka the Fred Nats. Uh, He went on the seven-day injured list on June 23rd, and he ended up not playing again the rest of the season. Uh, The Nats took Brady House with the number 11 pick in the 2021 MLB draft out of a high school in Georgia. Meantime, the Orioles, they had a whopping eight players on Baseball America's top 100 prospects list, including three of the top 15 prospects. Shortstop slash third baseman slash second baseman, uh, Gunnar Henderson, he was number one. Uh, This off-catcher, Adley Rutschman, having been number one in Baseball America's first top 100 prospects list for last year. And keep in mind that the O's got Rutschman and Henderson in the same draft. Uh, Rutschman was the number one overall pick in the 2019 MLB draft, and Henderson was taken by the O's in the second round of the 2019 draft. Uh, Also, pitcher Grayson Rodriguez was number six, on the Baseball America Top 100 Prospects list that came out on Wednesday morning, shortstop-slash-second baseman Jackson Holiday was number 15. Outfielder Colton Cowser was number 41. Pitcher D.L. Hall was number 75. Shortstop-slash-third baseman-slash-second baseman Jordan Westberg was number 76. Second baseman slash left fielder, Connor Norby, was number 93. And shortstop slash second baseman, Joey Ortiz, was number 95. How about that? Eight of the top 100 prospects in baseball per Baseball America are Orioles prospects. That is something. Joe Angel, give it to me. And the Orioles again in the win column. Yes, thank you, Joe. Good to hear from you. Uh, This is a very strange time for both the Nats and the O's with each team in the midst of major ownership uncertainty. Uh, The Nats, of course, are rebuilding. The O's are coming out of their rebuild and they are loaded with young talent. And so if you're an O's fan right now, it's tricky because on the one hand, their ownership situation is not good. Uh, the Orioles ownership group has been led by Peter Angelos and his sons, John and Luis Angelos. Peter has been in failing health for years. Uh Luis Angelos, this past June 9th, filed a lawsuit against his brother, John Angelos, and their mother, Georgia Angelos, for control of the team. Uh, we this past Monday had an event at which the O's announced a pledge of five million dollars to College Bound Foundation. Uh, That's a Baltimore-based organization that helps Baltimore City public school students afford college. Okay, very nice gesture. Uh, But at the event and taking questions from reporters at the event was Orioles chairman and CEO, John Angelos. But despite the fact that he was at the event and taking questions from reporters at the event, uh, John Angelos refused to answer questions about the Orioles' ownership situation Uh, Or about the Orioles' lease. You know, the Orioles' lease with the Maryland Stadium Authority ends on December 31st, 2023. And as you may know, the O's being moved to Tennessee has come up. Among the items in this lawsuit was John Angelos, according to Louis Angelos, wanting to move the O's to Tennessee. Uh, The O's this past June 13th actually issued a statement from John Angelos saying that the team will never leave Baltimore. Quote, as I have said before, as long as... Fort McHenry is standing watch over the Inner Harbor. The Orioles will remain in Baltimore. End quote. But John Angelos this past Monday would not take questions on the ownership situation or on the lease. And he actually invoked Martin Luther King Jr. Day as the reason Uh, that was something. Additionally, you have the O's this offseason and having spent very little money, even though O's executive vice president and general manager Mike Elias had said that the O's were going to spend money this offseason. And so you have to wonder if Mike has wanted to spend more money, but has not been allowed to. So if you're an O's fan, things are complicated right now, okay? But from purely a baseball operation standpoint, it's hard not to be excited. Mike Elias has done a very good job, and the O's are loaded with young talent. And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Algaldi Podcast at Yahoo.com. Friday show, episode four hundred and ninety. We'll have plenty for you on the Commanders. I'll also talk Capitals and Maryland basketball. The caps are at the Arizona Coyotes Thursday night at nine. The Terrapins are home to Michigan Thursday night at seven. Have a great rest of your Thursday. And I'll talk to you on Friday.
3: Ah, ah, ah! <laughs> Take your round and a half!